Last time when he was here, he said he preferred a low-key introduction. So today, all I'm going to say about him is that he's I. <laughs> With that being said, please join me in giving an I ignite welcome for our very own Pastor Kwok. That was perfect. That's what I like. Just kidding. No, next time, just pump me up a little bit. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. Thank you, Pastor Jason. I love Pastor Jason. He's such a good pastor, and he's so good looking. Do you work out? Okay. Like, he's, he looks so fit and good looking, and he hardly works out. Imagine <laughs> if he worked out. And no, just kidding. I do think you're handsome, but looks aren't everything. All right, um, just a little uh, disclaimer. I'm fighting a cold. I got tested, and it came out positive that I don't have COVID. So I don't. It's not COVID. This is the tail end where the cough is a little dry and just kind of, it was like, like two Sundays, not, not this Sunday, not last Sunday, but the Sunday before that Friday, I woke up and I was feeling, oh my gosh, I called Pastor Tony. I said, I think I have COVID again. I had it before. And uh, he, he's like, just, you know, are, do, are you going to get tested? I'm like, nah. Let's, let's, let's see what happened. No, I got tested and uh, it, it was good. It turned out good. And then, then, uh, then it got better. And then last week, I preached to the youth and every other word was a cough. And it was so bad. <clears throat> and so uh, I might be coughing as I talk, but just to let you guys know, it's not COVID, so don't freak out. If you get something from me, it's just going to be a regular cult, okay? <laughs> Anyways, God bless. God bless you guys. It's okay, I got a mask. I, got a, I had my mask off sitting there. I put it on so I can come up here so everyone can see me taking it off. I'm kidding, guys. All right. Um, I have several things to talk about today. I asked Pastor Tony. Usually, I, I like to ask, what do you want me to preach on? Is there a theme? And uh, Pastor Tony said that you guys were talking about revival, and I love revival, so I want to talk about revival. And I'm going to talk a little bit about revival. Let me check the time. I'm going to talk about a little bit about revival. I'm going to tell some revival stories. But beforehand, I want to talk about some current events that, 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 that's just happening, <clears throat> and this might make some people mad, but I'm here to make you mad so you can repent. Uh, some people, and most people I'm sure it's cool because we're inside church. Right now, everyone in California is mad. Have you guys noticed that? They're mad at Texas right now. Have you noticed on your Instagram feed how mad everybody is, how prehistoric Texas is, and everybody's so mad. We're, it's funny because I was so glad. I was like, way to go, Texas. Righteous laws. If you guys don't know what I'm talking about, past, Texas just passed a law called the heartbeat bill, and it's if, you're, if your baby has a heartbeat, you can't abort your baby. Somebody clap. Come on, somebody. It's okay, we're in church. <laughs> We're in church. It's all right. And so I was so mad. Not mad. I was glad everybody got mad. And uh, all of my, I'm like, oh, I didn't realize I had so many non-believing friends, which is a good thing. 
A lot of people from my gym, people I get tattoos from, like people that I love. And that's okay. And so uh, pretty excited about, uh, about what's going on in Texas. I've, if, you know, I, if you know me, I'm, I'm like, I'm very weary of politics. I'm not, I'm not making a spiritual uh, a, a spiritual stance. I'm not saying if you're into politics, you're a sinner. My wife is like into politics, and she gets mad when I call her a Republican. She's like, I'm not Republican. I'm like, okay, whatever. You know, I, people who are super conservative would consider me a little left. People who are Californian would consider me a little right. All right? <laughs> I'm just, I'm not here to preach politics. If you know me, I, I, I'm like, oh, I don't know about politics. I vote. I try to get, be informed. But I, I, I don't know about politics. Here's why. I, I've been brokenhearted so many times by the political system. Right? You ever vote for someone and they don't, you get, ah. Uh. And I remember one time years ago, I voted for a president and he didn't get, and he wasn't even like the greatest, you know what I'm saying? He was just, meh. But I'll vote for him because the other guy was, Bleh. It was like Tweedledee or Tweedledum, right? Oh, Tweedledee. And so, but I remember when Tweedledee lost, I was bummed out for like three days, depressed. Gosh, I'm totally on a, rant, uh, a tangent. I was depressed for three days, and, and, and then on the third day, I said, what the heck? Why am I depressed? And it was like, because politics has become an idol. And ever since then, I've been like, uh, there's one guy I really like. There's another lady that I'm kind of into. But everyone else, I'm just like, ugh. I'm probably wrong, but, you know. I'm not, like, going to call my senator and be like, hey. Anyways. All that to say is politics did something good in Texas, and I was impressed. And once again, I don't fully put my hope in it, and da-da-da. And so, uh, yeah, so I just want to talk about abortion for a minute, just for a minute. Then we're going to talk about revival, all right? And so the Bible actually says this, Jeremiah chapter 1, verse 4 and 5. Jeremiah is talking about his calling. And he says, then the word of the Lord came to me, saying, Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before you were born, I sanctified you. I ordained you a prophet to the nations. Jeremiah received his call. God knew him before he was born or before he was in the womb. But while he was in the womb, he was sanctified. By, he was set apart already in the womb and called to ministry in the womb. Called to ministry in the womb. How many of you guys know that you can't sanctify someone who's not alive? So I'm just saying amen. Mm. Don't be scared to say amen amongst the righteous. Somebody say amen. <laughs> All right. Don't be, don't be afraid. Don't be scared to take a stand for what's right. Don't be a jerk. You know how some people are jerks when they take a stand? Gosh, why is it that the loud Christians are always the jerky ones? Have you ever noticed that? Not always, but a lot of loud Christians. And the nice Christians are quiet. Be a loud, nice Christian. Anyway. <clears throat> Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before you were born, I sanctified you. The Bible also says in, in Psalm one. 39, you covered me in my mother's womb, for you formed my inward parts. You covered me in my mother's womb. I will praise you. I'm fearfully and wonderfully 
made. So uh, I thank God for righteous laws. And I don't like it that people are mad. But I can, can I tell you, I totally understand why people are mad. I get it. I understand people who are pro-choice. In fact, I completely agree with them. Not, not completely. I partially agree with them. <laughs> I would be mad too. I would be mad too. Because I agree. I totally agree. My body, my choice. Completely agree. Because you can't force yourself on other people, especially on their body. You can't force yourself. Right? Like, I can't force someone not to do something with their body. I, I can't force you. That's totally wrong. It's wrong. Unless, because it's your body. Unless you're married. Because when you're married, the Bible actually says your body your, belongs to your, your, it's not just your body. It's your wife's now or it's your husband's now. Right? So let's say if I were to get a tattoo and my wife's like, I don't really like that tattoo. I really don't like that tattoo. I would consider her. I wouldn't be like, it's my body. No, she's my wife. She's like, that's my body too. I don't like that tattoo, right? Like my wife, for instance, she's just turned, ugh, am I allowed to say? She, she just turned 42. She's not here, it's cool. <laughs> and she's like, you know what? I, I was always against Botox, but now I'm considering Botox. And I'm like, no, that's not just your body, that's my body. I said, just get old. Please don't look fake. That's just me. Get old. And uh, she's like, okay. <laughs> I don't, not that I have control. You know, there's, there's things that I have not done with, with my body, not, nothing like weird or sinful, but just because my wife is like, I don't want you to do that. I'm like, really? I'm like, okay. I will not mention what they are. <laughs> nothing weird, guys. What was I talking about? Yeah. And so, <laughs> I, but here's the thing. If it was, if my wife was my girlfriend, she's like, don't get that. I'm like, well, you're not my wife. You're my girlfriend. I do whatever. Oh, my body. <laughs> my body, my choice. I agree. You should not, like, you can't force. And I totally understand. I get why people are raging. I understand. Because I completely agree. My body, I, I would be upset. So here's the thing. I don't believe, gosh, here's the thing. And it's because of that very principle why I don't agree with abortion. Well, first of all, because it's a sin. But the, the principle, the deeper principle is this. That body inside of your body is not your body. It's somebody else. It's somebody else. And when you say my body, my choice, and you're completely defiling and destroying someone else's body. It's somebody else. Anyways, so I don't, I don't believe, like I know a lot of pro-life people, like you murderers, I don't, gosh, I don't believe that these people, that, that if you're pro-choice, you're like a murderer or you have a murderous spirit. Because I, I like to, 
I, I, I'm, a opt, I'm a social optimist. I like to believe the best about people. So I don't believe that. I don't believe that if, that, oh, you, you agree with murder. No, they don't agree with murder. People that are not agreeing with murder, they just don't believe that that's someone. That's all. That's, here's the difference. That the core of the, the, the argument or the core of the debate, or the, 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 that's why I don't like to de really debate about people. I, usually when people talk about that, I say, Here, here's, here's the deal. I believe that somebody, you don't believe that somebody, that's the difference. I'm not going to change your mind. You're not going to change my mind. So there's the difference. Everything else, it doesn't matter. The core is you don't believe that someone, but I believe that someone. So anyways, so I'm not saying, but if, if you happen to believe that is actually someone and you still, then I'm praying for you and your wicked soul. <laughs> Amen. Preacher's going to preach. Preachers, why are you so preachy? Why are you so preachy? Because I'm a preacher. That's what I'm called to do, to speak righteousness. I'm called to preach righteousness. I'm called to, to, to uh, preachers are called to tell people this is right and this is wrong. But, but Pastor Kwok, it's not about right and wrong. It's about relationship. It's not about right and wrong. It's about relationship with Christ. It's not about sin. It's about my relationship. It is about right and wrong and relationship. It's not one or the other. It's both. It's not one. People, gosh, I hate people always, it's what is this or that? This or that. No, it's both. Have you ever played this game? Would you rather? Would you rather eat a piece of poo or drink pee? I would rather not play this game. <laughs> Amen. <laughs> Anyways. So that's my little thing on California and Texas. I'm not trying to move out of California. I love this state. I, I love being from California. I love California. And uh, we're here to be a light amongst a wicked and perverse generation. Pastor Kwok, how dare you call them wicked? I didn't. The Bible did. That's from the Bible. I just read the, I just quoted a Bible scripture. All right, let's talk about revival. <clears throat> Let's talk about revival. What is revival? Revival is when the Spirit of God comes upon something that was once living and then dead and brings them back to life. That is what revival is. I'm excited to talk about this because you guys are having that, uh, that message, that, uh, what do you call it, that, that conference? Is it, a, is it online conference or is it? It's an, ooh, ooh, daring. Uh, you guys are on the edge. Uh, the, 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 the Revival and Healing Conference, which I'm excited about. I remember back in the day, they had a 21 Days of Healing. Who, who remembers the 21 Days of Healing? That is hardcore. That is hardcore for a church to do a 21 Days of Healing Conference. Amen? So turn with me to Ezekiel chapter 37. All I'm going to read today is Ezekiel 37 verses 1 through 10. And as you guys are turning, I have one more thing to say about abortion. You thought I was done. So did I, but I just remembered. If you're mad in here, and if you're, 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 you consider yourself a Christian, and you are, you know what, I'm pro-choice. Here's the deal. I'm not mad at you. I'm here, to, I'm here to, it's my job to steer you right. It's my job. 
okay? Someone posted something. Everybody's mad on the internet, but once in a while you get something cool. Someone posted something really cool. I'm like, that's, right. that's it right there. I think it was my, my pastor friend, Brendan, from Canada. He, I think it was him. It could have been someone else. They posted, uh, if you're Christian and you're pro-choice, then either you don't understand Christianity or you don't understand abortion. Let me say that again for the people in the back. If you're Christian and you're pro-choice, you either don't understand Christianity or you don't understand abortion. That's a good place to say amen. That's what I hear. I hear Pastor Jason saying amen, and people are like, Pastor Kwaki, I brought a guest. Welcome to River of Life, where the truth is preached. Anyways, Ezekiel 37, verse 1 through 3. The hand of the Lord came upon me and brought me out in the spirit of the Lord and set me down in the midst of the valley. I can't wait to see how many unlikes this message gets on YouTube. (laughs) And it was full of bones, and it was full of bones. Then he caused me to pass by them all around, and behold, there there were very many in the open valley, and indeed, they were very dry. And he said to me, Son of man, can these bones live? So I answered, O Lord God, you know. So God takes Ezekiel in a vision to a valley. The valley is full of bones, dry bones. What are bones? Bones means they were once alive. They once were living, they once were active, they once loved the Lord and served the Lord with fervor, they once were prayer warriors, they once were moral, they once understood the standard of the Lord and lived with conviction. They once were bold and unafraid. They once took a stand for the gospel. They once did not care what the world thinks of them and only cared what the Lord thought of them. They once were alive. Then they died. To the pressures of the worldly tribes that surrounded them. They took brides that were not Israelites. They began to lift up idols of the tribes around them and worship the idols. They began to sacrifice their children to Molech as they did around them. And they died. Not only were they dead, the Bible says they were dry bones. That means that they were dead for a long time they were dead. And God asked Ezekiel, can these bones live? And Ezekiel looked at the bones and he goes, oh my, these dry bones, these dead. Ezekiel, <laughs> what the? he couldn't answer God. That's, that's why he said, God, 
You know. You know. They once were alive and now they're dead. It's the opposite of the song. I once was dead, but now I live. They once were alive, but now they're dead. Can California, can the church in California live again? Can there be revival in this state? Can there be revival in the Silicon Valley, the most unchurched place in America? Do you know that? Silicon Valley? How many of you guys have read that statistics? St- statistic. It's a hard word to say when your first language was Vietnamese. The most unchurched place in America. You, you're living in it. The most secular city or the secular place you, you're in it. Can these bones live again? How many of you guys? Again, you know there was revival in California? I don't know if you guys know this. In the 60s and the 70s, <clears throat> early 70s, late, mid, late to mid 60s, there, there was a revival. It was, they called it the Jesus People Movement. It was amongst hippies. Have you guys heard of this? This hippie movement. There was an older preacher. He was a teacher of the word of God. He very just suit and tie. Things have changed. Suit and tie every Sunday a teacher of the word of God. His name was Chuck Smith. He started the Calvary Chapel movement. Anyone ever heard of Chuck Smith? Nobody heard of him. One, two, three, four. Actually, some four or five of my tattoos are from Chuck Smith's son-in-law, who his son-in-law became a tattoo artist, and I got some tats from him. So I'm praying that the spirit of Chuck has been hurrying my Just kidding. Just touch the tattoo, and you shall be healed. Just kidding. That's weird. Unless the Lord tells me so, then it's not weird. All right. So Chuck Smith, and then there was this young, long-haired hippie named Lonnie Frisbee. Anyone heard of Lonnie Frisbee? Young, long-haired hippie named Lonnie Frisbee. And they got together, and an old, straight-laced guy and a young, crazy hippie got, who loved Jesus got together and fireworks. How many of you guys know that the revival that, that I believe that is coming is not a youth revival for many years? It's a revival of the young. It's all about the young. And now that I'm getting old, no, I want revival too. And I preached it when I was young. Revival is not for the young. It's for the church. Amen. From young to old, revival is for everyone. So don't count out those that are older than you, which youth do. I remember, I remember being young and just freshly saved, and I had youth leaders, and I just make fun of how lame they were. Not, 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 not in spiritual matters, but they dressed different, and so we'd make fun of them. It was lighthearted. It wasn't like mean. It was like nice socks, dude. Now kids are like, what are those? <laughs> They're Crocs, yo. <laughs> I'm just kidding. They're Toms. Does anyone wear Toms anymore? Anyways, I used to make fun of people who were Toms. Not like mean, just ha Your shoes, no, I'm just kidding. What am I talking about? Young and old together. Lonnie, they got together, hundreds and thousands of people saved. 
They are, and it's weird. If you read about they went and they lived in communes. Some, some communes had like 10,000 10, people, like communes all over. They, was, I think that's where they got mess and I think they should they shouldn't have lived in, they should have went into community instead of living in my my personal opinion look if you google the Jesus people movement of the 60s you'll see pictures of people of beaches literally just like hundreds of people getting baptized at the same time hundreds of people on the beach like it was revival people were getting saved left and right it, it, it made such a noise that time magazine began to write about it in time magazine talking about these jesus freaks it's where the term jesus freak came out of the 60s uh, and it was talking about these people and it was a great movement so there was revival in california now all these old hippies are are now old yuppies they're elders in the church now. They were once young hippies. Now they're old yuppies, and they're waiting for another revival. Can these bones live, Lord? Only you know. Ezekiel 37, 4 through 6 says, Again he said to me, prophesy to these bones. Say to them, O dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. Thus says the Lord to these bones, surely I will cause breath to enter you and put breath in you and you shall live. So I answered, oh Lord, you know. Oh, wait, what? And you shall live. Then, then, you sh- then you shall know that I am the Lord. The, the first verse is, oh Lord, you know. This one God is saying, then you're going to know that I am God. And then he says, so I prophesied as I commanded, and, I, and as I prophesied, there was a noise, and suddenly a rattling, and the bones came together, bone to bone. Indeed, as I looked, the sinews and the flesh came upon them, and the skin covered them over, but there was no breath in them. So as he began to prophesy, the Bible says that he spoke the word, prophesied to these bones, oh, dry bones. He spoke the word to the dry bones. He didn't give up on the bones that once were alive and now they're dead, but he spoke to the once were alive and now they're dead. He spoke to the bones. What did he spoke? He spoke the prophetic word of the Lord. He spoke the word of God. And when he began to speak, the bones began to, there was a sound. It's the sound of the beginnings of revival. When you begin to preach the word of God and you begin to prophesy to the church and begin to speak life into the church, begin to speak hope into the church, all of us begin to speak righteousness into the church, the bones begin to rattle. It's the beginnings of revival. And the, the, the bones, they, if, if, they, they came together. And then the sinews came upon. Then the muscles came. And the organs and everything just began to form. And it looked like a creepy horror movie. And, and then the skin came on. And the, then there stood an army. The Bible says there was no breath on them. There's something about the word of the Lord. You know what the word of the Lord does? The word of the Lord brings order. It brings the order of God. It sets the standard of God, and it brings the order of God. So many, so, for so long, we've been looking and been checking the temperature of the world to see where can we stand. 
I check the temperature to the, of the world so I, can, so I can be like, what is acceptable for me to preach and what is unacceptable for me to preach? Because if I preach some things in the Bible, it might not be unacceptable to the world, and I might just get a, mm, instead of an amen, pastor. But if I check the temperature of the world to see what I preach, you will never live. I'm not mad. I'm just excited. <laughs> it takes a lot to get me mad. I'm very excited. But if I'm mad, get out of the room. <laughs> you know those people that are super mellow. They're never mad. And they're always, ah, they're very easygoing. And they're, ah, they never get mad. If they get mad, leave. Especially if they know jujitsu. Just kidding. I, I, I suck at jujitsu. <laughs> I can't brag about jujitsu because I suck at it. I accept it. You have to look into yourself and be true to yourself if you want to improve. Anyways, uh, you can't put a ten, you can't check the thermometer. Can I, and can I also tell you, you can't check the thermometer of the church either to see if what you want to preach. You look to one place. You look to one person. You look to the word of God. You look to God himself. You don't check the thermometer of the church. You don't check the thermometer of the world to see what is acceptable to God. You preach the word of God. You live by the word of God. You live by the standard of God. I love my favorite quote, and if you've known me and heard my preaching for a long time, you probably heard this quote hundreds of times I doubt anyone's been hundreds of my sermons, but, and you'll hear it again. It's by Watchman Nee, a Chinese guy, and he said this. He said, when the temperature of the average Christian goes to normal, everyone else thinks he has a fever. Let me say that again. Open up your heart. Let this hit you good. When the temperature of an average Christian gets to normal, everyone else thinks he has a fever. If you want to live in revival, you have to, gosh, if you want to live according to the word of God, you have to accept the fact that people are going to think you're crazy. You're going to have to accept the fact that people think you're too much, too religious, too loving, too patient, too kind, too intense. Your standards are too high. That's why you're still single. No, it's because I'm looking for a godly person. <laughs> I'm looking for a man amongst boys. Not me. I'm speaking as if I was a woman. I'm identifying as a female. Just, what? No. The word of God brings the standard, and it's the only standard that we live by. Well, I don't live by the standard of the world. I don't live by the standard. I definitely don't live by the standard of the media. Definitely. I don't live by the standard of Joe Rogan. Somebody say amen. I love Joe. I love listening to his show very, but I disagree with him on a lot. But I like that he's very open-minded, but not that he's open-minded to doing cocaine. Anyways, let's go on. I live by the standard of the word. Amen? And if I preach, if I preach to you a standard that is not a word, don't live by Pastor Kwok's standard. Look back in the word. Is it in the word? If I start saying crazy things from the stage, 
look here. Stop inviting me. Don't stop inviting me because I preach truth and love. Stop inviting me because I preach lies in love. Or tr even truth in hate. <laughs> then stop. This isn't my thing. This isn't Pastor Jason's thing. This is God's thing. God's thing should be done God's ways. If it's not, it's not God's thing anymore. Amen, amen. So he spoke the word, and the word brought order. That's what the word does. It brings order. And then the Bible says, and then he prophesied to the breath and came into them, and they lived and stood upon their, wait, no, no, I'm sorry, Ezekiel 37, 9. I went ahead of myself. Also he said to me, prophesy to the breath. Prophesy, son of man, say to the breath. Thus saith the Lord God, come from the four winds, O breath, and breathe on these slain that they may live. So I prophesied to the breath. And so I prophesied as he commanded me, and breath came into them, and they lived and stood upon their feet, an exceedingly great army. First, he prophesied the word to the people. Second, he prophesied to the breath for the people. First, he prophesied the word to the people. Second, he prophesied to the breath for the people. What is it called when you speak to breath? Well, the breath, listen, this. who is the breath? The breath is the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is the breath of God. He is the river of God. That's the Holy Spirit. He, identi he, he identifies as dove, river, breath. He's, but he's a person, and he's powerful. And so when, when he's prophesying to the breath, who's he talking to? Somebody answer me. Who's he talking to? Shout it out. Holy Spirit. Who's the Holy Spirit? The third person of the Trinity. The Holy Spirit is God. So what is it called when you speak to God? Prayer. He's praying. Speak the word and then pray. Speak the word and then pray. We need the word and we need the spirit. We need the word and we need to be filled. Can I tell you that it is the combination of the right structure of God filled with the spirit of God that brings life that brings revival. It's the combination. It's not one or the other. Once again, I don't like that game. Would you rather have this or would you rather have that? Would you, would you rather your wife be really pretty but dumb or be super smart but ugly? First of all, beauty is in the eye of the beholder, so that doesn't work that way. Secondly, I ain't playing your game. My wife is beautiful and smart, homie. It's not about the word or the spirit. Oh, we're a word people. We love, oh, we're the spirit church. We're charismatics. We, no, it's the word and the spirit, and together it brings life. The word is the banks of the river that causes the spirit to flow in the right direction. The word brings structure. The spirit brings life. Where water flows, life grows. Have you ever noticed that? Where there's a river, where there's a lake, there's trees, there's fish, there's lush. I don't know what lush is, but it's there. There's homemade, handmade soaps? No, that's not what I'm talking about. That store, lush, in the mall? Yeah. 
It's the word and the spirit brings revival. Revival brings life to that which was dead. Revival will transform a person. This, gosh, how deep do we want to get into this? There's different types of revivals. There's different sizes of revival. There's personal revival, which someone just gets hit, boom, by the Spirit, and they have a personal awakening, and it's just that on that person, and they repent of all of their sins. That's part of revival, folks, repentance. They're, they become alive in Christ. They're hungry for God. They want to go to every prayer meeting. They, they want to go to every church. They, they, they've revived. They once were up and up doing God knows what, uh, and, and then all of a sudden they're doing God knows exactly what. They're just, they're just, ah, that's for personal revival. I know a girl that that happened to so hard that I married her a year later. That was my wife. She was, had a personal. And then there's revival that hits little communities, a little, maybe a little church, maybe a little. And then there's revivals that hit cities. Then there's revival, revivals that hit nations. And, and, and God willing, there'll be a revival that hits the world. Revivals, when God moves on a, upon a place, brings people up to his holy standard, and his presence is there. And here's the thing about revival. When it hits, it's not like, oh, yay, we had revival. Oh, revival's over. And now let's go back to the way which we were. They drank from the rock, the water from the rock. They still died in the desert. It's the title of a book I never read, but just the, the title of the book itself was like, I get it. Once revival hits, guess what? That's the new standard for you. There's no going down. That, boom, you, you stay there. That's, the new, that's a, drive in that lane. That's a new thing. <clears throat> in 1 Corinthians 7, 8 through 11, Paul the apostle, he's writing to the Corinthian church. He wrote a, 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 a letter prior, and he had corrected them on their sin. Like, he went hard on them. Uh, other, some, some scriptures call it the severe letter. He wrote a severe letter to them, which was so severe, it, it, it made them cry. It made them all sad. And then he felt bad. Then he wrote this. And he wrote to them, first, in, in verse 8, it says, for, for even if I made you sorry for my letter, I do not regret it. Though I did, though I did regret it. So he's like, ah, oh, I, I didn't want to make you sad. I don't regret making you sad, but I do regret making you sad. For I perceive the same epistle made you sorry, though only for a while. Now I rejoice, not that you were sorry. I, my, I'm not happy that you were sad, guys. But that your sadness led to repentance, that your sorrow led to what? Repentance. And watch this. Here's, here's the fruit. For you are made sorry in a godly manner that you might suffer loss from us in nothing. Watch, for godly sorrow produces repentance leading to salvation. Pastor Jason, we can't just preach messages that make people happy. Sometimes we preach, preach messages that will make people sad. Sometimes we'll preach messages that will make people mad, and that's okay. Because the, the end result. What diligence, watch this. What diligence it produced in you. 
What clearing of yourselves? What indignation? What fear? What vehement desire? That's a gnar- that word vehement is a gnarly word. Anyone ever use? When's the last time you used the word vehement? Never. Maybe when you're reading this scripture out loud. There's another place in the Bible where they use the word vehement, and it describes the prayers of Jesus with vehement cries. Describing the prayers of Jesus. Vehement. Vehement. If you say it enough, it'll make no sense. Vehement. What? Vehement desire. This, these are the fruits of revival. What zeal? What vindication? In these things, you proved yourself clear in the matter. These are the fruits of revival. When revival hits, people repent. They have vehement desire. They're full of zeal. They're full of indignation, not like a, against people, but a, a righteous indignation against sin. They begin to hate sin again. Back in the day, there was a short preacher. His name was John Wesley. He was 5'3". I like him because he was short, because I'm short, and I can relate. You know, you know when you see a thing, and you're like, yay, me too, because they're like you, right? Anyone watch that new Marvel movie with the Chinese guy? How many guys left? Like, yeah, Chinese! Nobody? No. I can't wait till they make a Vietnamese guy. I'll take Chinese, because basically, I'm half Chinese. The, the, those tests, they came out. What, I'm half Chinese? What? What the? Okay, okay. I like John Wesley because he was short. He was 5'2", 5'3". He was a short English guy who became radical for God. He became radical for God, and he began to preach. Now, at the time, England was a very religious country, meaning everybody went to church. The communities were around church. They were very religious, but they were dead bones. John Wesley stepped, his, his fa- he went to, his father was a pastor also. His father had died. They invited John Wesley, come preach at your father's church. He came in and he preached a message at his father's church. And you know what they did? He came back to preach another message. They had locked the doors. They said, no, we don't like what you're selling. John Wesley says, what ifs? He actually didn't say that because it was England. He said, what eveth? He went next to the church back in the day. And if you, if you drive in, uh, in, in, some of the, in, in America, in, in, uh, in the Midwest or in the South, you'll find that many times next to churches are, are graveyards. They buried them next to the church. So that's how it was in England. He went to, he went, they locked the church. He went, he stood on his father's gravestone. Because here's the deal. You're not going to kick someone off of their dad's gravestone. That's messed up. And he began to preach. And crowds began to gather. And England had revival. And the revival back then was called the Methodist movement. It, and Methodist wasn't like now, Meth- oh, I'm Methodist, I'm Presbyterian. Back in the day, it, Methodist was, was spoken by the non-Methodist as a, it, it was like, oh, you Methodist. It was like, just like Jesus freak. Now we're like, yeah, we're Jesus freaks. In the 60s, it was like, you Jesus freak, right? <laughs> one, day, uh, one day, the word bigot is going to be a compliment. Yeah, we're the bigots. Because <laughs> the word is like, you bigots. <laughs> Remember, we're not 
checking the temperature of the world to see how we're going to live our lives or what's acceptable to preach in a church. In a church. In a church, homie. This is John Wesley. He started the Methodists. Oh, my gosh, they were on fire. He affected a guy named George Whitfield. George Whitfield was, an, uh, again, a short, what's up with these shorties? A short English guy who, who, who traveled to America, and he began to do what John Wesley did in America. He began to do, hold these outdoor meetings where, where hundreds of thousands would gather without, without a microphone, and he would preach to them all. They, they would be, he just preached. There's a story that uh, Benjamin Franklin, who, who's not, who wasn't a Christian, guys. He wasn't a Christian. People, oh, Benjamin, he wasn't. He wasn't, and it doesn't matter. He, he, but he was interested. He's like, what is this? And Benjamin Franklin couldn't get a good seat, so he climbed a tree. He climbed a tree to watch, to hear George Whitfield. George Whitfield preached so hard that the Spirit of God moved so strong, it hit Benjamin Franklin. He fell out of the tree. In 19, I think it was 1904, there was a young man named Evan Roberts. Anyone heard of Evan Roberts? Evan Robert, no? He was a young guy, about 22, 23 years old. He was a Welsh preacher. He began to hold these meetings. And he, what he would do was they would hold meetings where they would just worship God and they would wait. And then who, and at that moment, whoever had the word of the Lord would step up and preach. And a lot of times it was Evan Roberts because he was a preacher. Sometimes it was other people. That's, how they, that's just how they did it. And I was like, can I have your notes and some questions afterwards for the small groups? And I was like that. And I just like, all right, here's some questions and we'll see if I even preach on those questions. Anyways. And revival hit. Revival hit the, the community so hard that there was no crime in the community anymore. So the policemen had nothing to do. So they became the choir of these revival meetings. I'd like to see revival hit so hard that the, the cops would just come and start to sing. That'd be great. Revival hit so hard. Now, this, this Welsh community, they were miners. They were all min- not, not young people. They mined it, coal in mines. Okay? <laughs> they were all miners. And so they, <clears throat> and they had dirty mouths. So what, the, what they did was they would have these donkeys that would pull the carts, and they'd put the, the, the stuff in the carts, and they'd, they'd tell them, they'd be like, effing move. They'd move. Effing stop. They'd stop. Or maybe it was a word that we don't know that was a Welsh cuss. I don't know. Blippity blap, go. I don't know what it was. They would cuss and the donkeys would move. They got so saved that they're like, we refuse to cuss. How many, you know when a person stops cussing, they got, that's so saved. They got so saved they refused to cuss. And so, and so the donkeys stopped moving. They had to train new donkeys. I would love for revival to hit California so hard that we need new donkeys. 
that, by, that is a metaphor, though, for recall. Just kidding, just kidding. Just kidding, I'm not talking about that. New donkeys, everybody. Welsh Revival. At the same time as the Welsh Revival was happening, over on the other side of England was a guy named William Booth and his wife, Catherine Booth. Anyone ever here heard of the Salvation Army? We know about the Salvation Army because we know that they stand in front of uh, stores and ring their bells around Christmas season so that they can get donations. We know about that. But when the Salvation Army started, it wasn't like that. By this time in England, the Methodist Church, which was once on fire, and which Methodists used to be like, you Methodists, now was like, yes, we are the Methodists. The Methodist churches be became dead, and they just wanted to have these community things and William Booth and Catherine Booth, they were pastors in the Methodist church. And so in their Methodist church, what they did was they would go in front of bars. They would not go in the bar, which they, they would wait outside of the bar, and they would have people play their music. And when people would come out of the bar, they'd begin to preach. And drunks would come out of the bar and begin to get saved. They would go to prostitutes. And they, they would help them with, like, clothes. They would help them feed their kids. They would help them raise their kids. They would help them. They didn't just preach at them. They helped, they helped them. For those prostitutes that wanted to come out of the lifestyle, they would help them with jobs. They, would, they began to help them. And it became this crazy movement. The Salvation Army became this crazy movement. And right before, like, like the tipping point of it, right before it started was the Methodists had this big conference, and they, William Booth was there, and they called William Booth up, and they said, William Booth, this is what we want. You're going after these drunks and prostitutes, and we don't like it. These are not our people. You need to go over for these nice, we want you to have a nice church with nice people. And William Booth, and in the middle of that, William Booth's wife was up in, she was up in the, what do you call it, the, the balcony area, and she screams, and you know what she says? She says, hell no. She cussed. Mm -hmm. She said, how? No. She screamed it and she left. And William Booth goes, I guess I'm going to leave too. And they left and started the Salvation Army. The Salvation Army was so hardcore at doing good works that people didn't like that they were saving drunks and prostitutes, that they created their own army called the Skull Army. Have you guys, have you guys heard any of this church history? They created the Skull Army, and the Skull Army, whenever the Salvation Army would do a march, whatever they do, the Skull Army would appear and beat them up, throw dead cats at them, throw urine at them, beat them up, and do, they would fight them. Imagine a revival so hard that, that, that the devil hates it so much that he creates his own army to come fight you. I can't wait to the day to use my... Just kidding, just kidding! Sounds a little like Antifa. Anyways, this is the Salvation Army. And then I remember they asked, they asked William Booth, are you going to go visit? Because this is happening at the same time as the Welsh Revival, these two big movements in England. They asked William Booth, are you going to go visit the Welsh Revival? And he goes, no. He goes, if I do, I'll overshadow them. It wasn't ego. It wasn't pride. It was just like, I do. I'm just big. <laughs> 
there were these two missionaries that left from salvation. They left, they left to this remote island, and they stayed there for several years. And nothing happened. They wrote William Booth, hey, we've been here for years. Nothing is happening. What do we do? William Booth cuts, takes a pair of pants, cuts holes in the knees of the pants, sends it back. He says, when your pants look like this and there's no revival, you can come back. And there was revival. He was telling them to prophesy to the breath. In 1906, in Topeka, Kansas, there was a guy who had a Bible college. His name was Charles Parham. And this was 1906 in Kansas, and so they didn't let black people in. But there was this one-eyed black man who was a son of a slave, or she, of an ex-slave. His name was William Seymour. And he wanted to go to Bible college. And so Charles Parham goes, ah, gosh, I know you have a call in your life. I can't let you into the class, but this is what I'll do. I'm going to open the door. You can sit right outside the door, and we'll teach you from there. And so William Booth is, I'll take what I can get. He sits outside of the door, and he listens to the teachings. One day, Charles Parham goes, listen, I'm going to go on a trip, a ministry trip. I have to go off. He says, as I'm off, students, I want you guys to read and meditate on the book of Acts, chapters 1 and 2. And then when I come back, uh, tell me what you find out. And so he leaves on his trip. His students read Acts chapter 1 and 2. And he comes back, and he's like, what did you guys learn? And they're like, we learned about speaking in tongues and the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And William Parham, because at the time, people were like, what the heck? Certain people did it, but it was like underground. And William Parham was like, what is this? And like, will you pray for us that we receive this? And he's like, I don't even know what this is. And he's like, just, and they're like, just pray for us. So he begins to lay hands on them. All of a sudden, his people start praying in tongues. They start praying in tongues, including William Seymour. William Seymour gets an invite to preach at a black church in L.A., he goes to L.A. to preach at this black church. He preaches what he learned about the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And then he goes, and he's, and he's supposed to come back for a second meeting. He comes back to the second meeting, and guess what? The doors are locked. There's something about these locked doors from the mainstream church sometimes. Maybe it's a sign that revival is going to happen. Either that or it's a sign that you're preaching weird. Okay, so... So there's this couple in the church, though, and they're like, hey, we actually like what you're saying. Come preach at our house. Their house was on a street called Bonnie Bray Street. They went to this house on Bonnie Bray Street, and he begins to preach this message about tongues, about the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And people start coming, start getting filled by the Holy Spirit. They start speaking in tongues. Miracles start happening. The house gets filled, so filled. All right, let's move it out on the back balcony. They go to the back balcony. The back balcony gets so filled up that one day in their meeting, the, the balcony breaks, everybody rolls down the hill. And like, we need to find a new place for our revival. And they're like, all right, I found, someone's like, I got this barn. It's a dirty barn, and it's got straw on the floor, but if we fix it up and clean it up, it could be a meeting house. And the meeting house was on a street called Azusa Street. So they go to Azusa Street, and the revival breaks forth in this barn on Azusa Street known as the Azusa Street Revival, where people all over the world, all different colors, this is 1906, guys, all different colors come. Different races, different, 
to receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And from there, there was, from there out came Pentecost, Pentecostalism. The Assemblies of God churches, the four square churches, all out there came, came this movement all over the world, which is the fastest growing movement to this day in all of Christendom. From 1906, it started in 1906. Revival. Ooh. It's an outpouring of the Holy Spirit. In 1995, there was a little church on 13th Street in San Jose. I was in the church. We were all on fire for God. We were like, it was a small church. Like if we had 50 people on a Sunday, well, oh my gosh, there was 50 people. <laughs> that was how small the church was. This prophet came to town, and he said, the wind of God is coming. No, 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 he didn't say wind. He said wave. He said, I see a wave coming. He said, and there was another church on the other corner, and I'm not, it's not a competition, but he says, the wave is going to pass that church. And it's going to come, and it's going to pour into your church. He, pro he prophesied this. He prophesied that in, 19, in, in, in 1994, he prophesied that. January 1st, or it wasn't January 1st. It was the first month of January in 1993, the first Sunday, the first Friday. It was a Friday. My pastor gets up. He begins to preach his message, Acts chapter 2. The Holy Spirit's going to fill you. He's, he began to say, you're going to do things you've never done before. Some of you guys are going to jump. Some of you guys are going to dance. Some of you guys are going to clap your hands. Some of you guys are going to shout. He began to preach this message like this. I was a sound man. The sound, the sound, at the time, the sound, it was such a small church. The sound stuff was next. There was no sound. It was next to the little pulpit, little stage. So I sat on the side doing the sound. Right? You guys are going to, the Holy Ghost is going to fill. Yeah, he preached his message. And then he goes, all right, after the message. And there, this church was so, there, were, there was no, like, there was no keyboard. There was nothing. There was this. After service, at the end of the sermon, he goes, all right, I'm going to lay hands on some of you guys, and, and, and the Holy Spirit's going to come upon you. And in completely dry, no worship, no music, no nothing, he goes, quack, come here, because I, I was next to him. I get up there, and he lays hands on He just begins to pray. I'm just whatever. Whatever happens. And I just hold my hands up. All of a sudden, I begin to feel my body just begin to vibrate. I, I begin to vibrate. <laughs> My hands started shaking. My body, my whole body was, I was like, <laughs> it was crazy. I ne I've never seen it before. It's never happened to me before. I just began to vibrate. I vibrated until I fell back into this chair. And I was like, <laughs> and then I felt unctioned. I began to stand up and be like, yeah. <laughs> but by that time, the pastor had gone to other people, people vibrating, people falling out on the floor, people laughing. And this was a small group. There must have been like, 15 of us in here. It wasn't like a big old day. But everybody, this, my one friend was over here in the corner. My pastor laid hand, all, he fell to the ground, and he began to roll. i never seen this. He began to, we had pews. He began to roll under the pews and back. He began to roll back. And as he began to roll, one way he'd roll, he'd laugh. <laughs> the other way, he'd start crying. <laughs> it was nuts. People, other people start jumping. Like back then, we didn't jump during worship. We just kind of, if it got good, we did this. Yeah, oh yeah. 
And it wasn't to the songs you guys sing today. It was like, oh, victory in Jesus. Mercy. It was like that. And, but people began to jump. The Holy Spirit. We, and that group, and I was part of that group. I've never been the same. It didn't, it, it, it didn't I, I still do this once in a while. But now I, something was, God took us to another level and we were never it was, a, it, was a, it was a miniature revival in a small little church. It comes in many sizes. We were, but we, were, we were ready for it. I'm going to ask you to stand. I'm going to ask the worship team to come up. We're going to close in prayer. <clears throat> I want you to be hungry for revival. You guys are having a revival and healing prayer meeting. Let's begin to expect. I, I, want, thing, I, want, I want people to get scared. God wants to do things. Don't miss revival when it happens. Sometimes the people that pray for revival, when it hits, it doesn't come, it doesn't hit like how they were praying for it to hit. And the very revival they prayed for, they missed. So sometimes weird things are gonna happen, guys. People are gonna fall out on the ground, they're gonna shake. Yes, I know there's been counterfeits, but just because there's a counterfeit doesn't mean we don't do the real. Anyone ever. Just because there's counterfeit money doesn't mean you're never going to use real money. Come on. Just because you eat counterfeit cheese. You guys know what I'm talking about? That cheese. Hey, this is cheese, but it's not cheese. I'm like, ew. doesn't mean you're going to eat real stinky, good, stinky cheese. Charles Finney said this, when sinners are careless and stupid, and sinking into hell unconcerned. It is time the church should bestir themselves. It is as much the duty of the church to awake as it is for firemen to awake when a fire breaks out in the night in a great city. And I'm going to say something that totally undermines everything that I've preached, but yet goes with it. I'm not waiting for revival to do something. I'm not waiting for revival to be revived. That's what I I'm not waiting for a move of God to move. If the move of God moves, I'm I'm gonna grab my board and I'm gonna get on the wave and ride it. But if there are no waves, I'm gonna paddle. I'm gonna swim. I'm not waiting for revival. I wanna I, I, I wanna be like William Booth. I want to be the revival. You don't have to wait for feelings or for goosebumps or for my pastor to lay hands on you in 1995 to shake. We, can I tell you, before that happened, we were already running in hardcore. We were at every prayer meeting. We were already revived. That was like, that was like revival on revival. You don't have to wait for a move of God to become alive. You can choose to repent of your sins. Turn to God anytime. I want revival on my own revival. So I'm not waiting for revival. I, I want to live revived, and when revival hits, I'll ride that wave. This month, I feel... I, 
I feel like this month that, that we've set we've we've set ourselves to expect miracles and we've set ourselves to expect revival by putting this conference in this month. I, I'm believing for a wild move of God. I'm I'm believing for that. I'm believing for the church to be awakened. And stop being distracted and sidelined. Refocus beauty of God with reverence. Not that the, that the presence of God would not become common. When we feel, when the presence is moving, I, I, I pray that it will not be like, oh, is it? A, I pray that we'll receive him with reverence in our hearts, respect in our hearts. That's why God says things like, take off your shoes. Don't you know you're on holy ground? I'm not saying we take off our shoes. He spoke to take your shoes, you're unholy. Give me some reverence. I'm just going to pray and then I'm going to give it to Pastor Jason. Father, I pray in the name of Jesus that you would raise up in this house those that are not ashamed, those that are not afraid. I thank you for fire. I thank you for baptizing us in the Holy Spirit and fire. I pray for zeal. I pray for indignation. I pray that, that we would have vehement desire. I pray for an awakening. Let him who has ears to hear, let him hear. Lord, I thank you that we're not checking the temperature of the world but we're raising up the heat in the house we're raising up the heat in the house so many Christians want to judge the world and condemn the world when the word of God says judgment begins in the house of the Lord and I ask God that you would judge us yes judge us we welcome your judgments because we know they're in love and we know they're for our benefit. We welcome your judgments because we know the heart of the Father is not to harm his children, but to pick us up and to get us running. Father, we receive you. Come on, just begin to lift your mouth. Just lift your mouth where you are and begin to ask God to revive you. Come on, lift your mouth where you are and begin to ask God to send revival. Lord, I thank you that you've not given up on this state. You've not given up on California. Can these bones live, God? Only you know. And I pray that you, we would know that you are God. I thank you that there's a shift coming. There's a change coming. just begin to lift your voice. You pray. Come on, you pray. Come on, you pray. Pray loud enough that you can hear your own voice. Just begin to lift your voice in this place. Hallelujah, Lord. Send it, Lord. God, we're not waiting it, but we welcome it. We welcome a movement of young and old, a movement of all colors, a movement of God. 
Father, raise up leaders that are holy. Raise up leaders that are non-compromising. Raise up leaders that are unafraid, Lord. We pray for the leaders, that repentance would come in the leaders, the ministers, the cell group leaders. We pray for the leaders, Lord. I pray that conviction would go hard on the leaders. Hunger would return to leaders. Leaders of the church, not just this church, but every church in the city, every church in the Silicon Valley, every church in the Bay Area, every church in California. Raise up leaders, Father. We pray for those leaders. God teaching you to pray. I see God, I see, uh, I see some of you guys be, be catching something, catching a spirit of prayer. And it's going to be hard to shut you up. That you're going to start coming to certain prayer meetings. And in the prayer meetings, you're just going to catch things. And you're going to start praying like you never pray. I, gosh, I see it like a locomotive, like a like a like a steam, like a locomotive. joke, but I'm not going to, but I see it. And it's going to begin to bring change. There's going to be a culture of prayer. It's good. It's not going to, too long prayer has kind of been like the side thing or the hardcore. Those are for the hardcore. Or those are for the weird. No, there's going to be a culture of prayer within the church where it's, it's just the way we are. It's just how we are. It's just how we are. This is I was walking my dog. Most people were like, I was in prayer for 21 days of fasting. And, but I was walking my dog, and I felt it was, I, I, had a, I had an inward vision. And it, it wasn't even a vision where I say, it was like an inward revelation and knowing. I was just walking my dog one morning, like a week and a half ago. And this has nothing to do with politics. If you know me, I vote and that's it. And this has nothing to do with recall at all. So don't, I'm not talking about that. Don't. But I felt a shift in the atmosphere. That's how I, not in the atmosphere of a building, but in the atmosphere of the state. And it was, it wasn't like a, it was just like a, there was like shade and the shade was lifted. It was, it was a shift. 
And I was like, whoa, really? And, and I had to question it, almost like Ezekiel. I was like, really? This? Because I've had my doubts before about this state. I've had my doubts. I thought, I'll just be, I'll just build a mission house at the gates of hell. <laughs> that's, that's, that's my, my thing. I never want to be, I've, I've, ne- I've never wanted to live in a spiritual hub. I don't want to move to writing. I, I want to be where it's hard. I want to be where I'm the minority. I want to be where, where they're going to call me names. I wanna, that's where I want to be. But I felt a shift, that a shift is coming to our state. And, and I'm not saying it's going to be a political shift. I don't even understand what it was, but I just know that change is coming, and I hope that change is revival. So don't live in doubt. Don't live, don't, don't live in hopelessness. Don't live in anger. Live on fire. Amen? Amen. I'm done. I'm going to shut up.